Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Eric T. and Larry with the Black Financial Initiative podcast. Uh, today, we have a special guest for you all. With no further ado, I'll kick it to Larry so he can introduce our guest. All right, y'all. I'm, I'm really excited today. We got a really special episode, a special guest here. Uh, we got an interview with a longtime friend of mine, somebody I've known most of my life. He is a he is a CPA. He is a tax attorney. Those alone are amazing, but to be able to do both of them is just outstanding. He's a graduate of HBCU. He has his own firm in the Houston area. Uh, more importantly than that, he's a family man with a wife and three children. Yeah, we got, we got Bradford here, Bradford Moy. Hey, everybody. How's it going today? How you gentlemen doing? Doing good. Doing, doing good. well. Glad doing well. Doing well, man. Taxes are the biggest expense for most Americans. So I think it's important that we talk about that. So that's why we obviously invited Bradford here. Uh, real excited about this. Uh, I'm going to start with a real easy question. Uh, Bradford, how do I be a billionaire and pay only $750 in federal <laughs> income taxes? <laughs> I'm going to toss it out there for you. <laughs> well, one, well, a couple of things with that. So I think a lot of things that uh, got lost. In translation, when that uh, when everybody saw that that he had, that that was uh, his tax bill was so low, was that one thing a lot of people didn't really consider was the amount of withholding and or payroll taxes that he was paying throughout the year. So, as you all know, right, you know your refund is the amount of money for the most part is the amount of money that's left over from those taxes that are withheld from your paychecks or your income throughout the year. The government at the beginning of the year, they don't know how many kids you're going to have. They don't know if you're going to have a house. They don't know all the deductions that you're going to have. So in order to keep things running, they have things set up to where they to where they have you withholding, to where they just take the taxes out throughout the year. And at the end of the year, everybody settles up. And if they were wrong and you ended up you know, having more deductions than they expected, then you'll get that refund. And then if they were right, or even wrong in that you end up owing additional, that's when you have a tax bill at the end of the year. So with Trump having that only $750 tax bill, uh, there were definitely probably some taxes that he paid throughout the year. And at the end of the year, he just his people just did a real good job to where his tax bill was so small, they managed that well throughout the year. And then also the biggest component of that is real estate. Real estate, and most likely in depreciation. I don't even have to say most likely. I mean, he specifically said on several occasions, I took advantage of the tax laws of depreciation to in order to minimize my tax liability. I think everybody's heard the word depreciation. Usually they've heard it when it comes to things, when purchasing a new vehicle, they always hear about the moment you purchase this new vehicle, moment you drive it off the lot, the value you know, immediately depreciates. So that's just in the tax world, what that really means on paper is that the IRS gives you a deduction on paper for the wear and tear on business assets. So for example, applying that to a Trump situation or even applying that we'll start with the vehicle, you could buy a vehicle, the vehicle might cost $50,000. You might even finance the vehicle to where maybe you only put down five thousand and you have a note for forty-five thousand dollars. However, the IRS, in an effort to spurn business and to get people to want to go out there, invest in the economy, 
to start their own businesses, they created and uh, maintained that depreciation deduction. So sticking with that example with the vehicle, you buy the vehicle for $50,000, you only spent $5,000 out of pocket. However, in year one, you could possibly claim a depreciation deduction of the entire $50,000 of that cost of that vehicle. Even though you only spent $5,000, you could potentially have a $50,000 write-off on your taxes. And that, mm-hmm. and now you take that same example and you apply that to the cost of a commercial building, which might cost you 30, 40, 50 million dollars. And you compare that and think about how much you can depreciate in year one, year two, year three. Um, the IRS has schedules and uh, on how you depreciate these assets over time. You can understand how somebody like Trump can offset so much income in one year. For real estate, what is it like? Um, you can depreciate over like 27 and a half years or something? It varies depending upon the type of property, but generally, yes, for residential real estate, for residential rental property, it, it's around that 27 and a half year mark. I can definitely tell you that you can expect tax laws to change soon with the Biden administration, without a doubt. Nothing's going to take place this year, significant in 2021. Um, just because of the amount of time it would take. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to get something uh, on the books and some type of changes enacted for tax year 2022. So just something to keep in mind. All right. Well, that's great information. Um, So we're going to kind of go back real quick and start with some basic information here. So just real quick, uh, I guess, what is a CPA? So CPA is a certified public accountant. Each state varies upon the requirements to obtain that certification. However, but in Texas, uh, last time I checked, you had to obtain an undergraduate degree um, with at least 30 hours in in the field of accounting and tax. And then you also had to go and obtain a graduate degree, uh, which also focuses in accounting. So an additional amount of hours focused in the accounting and tax field. And then you have to go and take the test to be a, and I tell people all the time, um, you know, you don't have to be a CPA to do taxes. You don't have to be a CPA to be a really good accountant or to even climb that corporate ladder if that's your dream or to go into business for yourself. But it definitely helps uh, a lot. Any any student anywhere uh, graduating or any accounting student that I ever meet, I always preach it to them. I say, you know, I understand You might not love it. You might not like it. You might not even want to do this forever. You might want to shift or pivot to a different field, whether that be finance, usually finance or something else. But having that CPA, you know, once you get it, you know, you have that on the shelf, it will always bring you, if you're talking about, you know, as far as a job, it will always, you always have a job. And that's just accounting in general. You always have a job. With the CPA though, you will always be able to, you know, obtain at least an extra five to $10,000 in salary minimum, you know, if you didn't have the CPA. And then all things considered, if you were applying for a job and you and this other candidate were equal in all ways, but one of you had the CPA, one of you didn't, they're going to give it to that CPA. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. I guess, how do you, as a CPA, how do you help people? So I, as a CPA, uh, I help people 
with their accounting and their taxes and bookkeeping. One of the biggest things that I noticed, uh, especially with minority-owned businesses, a lot of them can be really, a, a lot of them can be really good at doing what they do, whether that's providing a service, whether that's uh, opening up a, a venue, events, restaurants, anything. However, a lot of businesses go under and are, you know, or go out of business because they fail to manage that in-house bookkeeping. Um, they fail to, ma- to they, they fail and they're weak in the areas of, of handling their, uh, the administrative, the administrative piece to it. All the back office stuff, uh, making sure your sales taxes are paid, making sure your franchise, your annual reporting requirements with the state are met, you know, and just, and just really keeping track of what money is coming in and where is the money actually going. So uh, that's one way that that's the main ways that as far as just on the CPA side that I really help uh, my customers, my clients and uh, friends and people that I know. All right. And I guess the same questions. Um, you're also a tax attorney. So, I mean, what is, what is a tax attorney and how do you help as a tax attorney? So as an attorney, um, after I Worked for a while. So after I came out of uh, undergrad, I went to Florida A&M, FAMU, uh, HBCU. That's where I got my degree in accounting. I worked for a while. Uh, I worked at a bunch of firms. Uh, I've worked at, started my career doing audit at KPMG. Then after that, I went to, switched over to the tech side. So I shifted more from the financial accounting and reporting, um, auditing uh, Fortune 500 companies. Uh, going through their books, I shifted over to the tax side, uh, doing the tax returns for these companies and tax planning. Um, I did that. Uh, after I did that, and then I also went and got some experience on the corporate finance side as well. And at that point, after I'd been a CPA, I had done that. Uh, I kind of formulated a plan through my career, which was I got that financial accounting experience, I got the tax experience, and I went and I got some corporate finance experience. And then I went back to law school. Uh, I went to St. Louis University School of Law in St. Louis. Uh, it was there, that's where my focuses in tax law were in the areas of tax, taxation, uh, business organizations, and uh, entrepreneurship. So as far as on the legal side, the way that I help clients and my friends, um, it, you know, there's a lot of overlap between taxes and uh, accounting, and there's a lot of overlap in the tax work that I do as a CPA and as an attorney. With as an attorney, I'm able to provide a uh, much more in-depth tax uh, assistance, and by that I mean when people get in trouble with the IRS. I'm able, I'm a lot more deadly than I was when I was, uh, before I, I want to say just a CPA, but before I went to law school and obtained my uh, law degree. I've worked at the IRS before, uh, literally, which is what a lot of people don't know is there is literally a tax court. There's a United States tax court and there is literally a way for taxpayers. If you really wanted to fight your tax debt, uh, if you are fighting audit, you could literally fight your way up to a United States tax court where you actually go to court and plead your case and in front of a judge and all this judge hears is tax cases and you're actually going against a lawyer that represents the IRS. 
And it's a very interesting court that a lot of people don't know about. This court is actually a traveling court. So in all, in, in I believe they have a, a court in all 50 states, but generally in all 50 states, in the major cities in those states, there will be a dedicated courtroom that's strictly for tax cases. All the judges in tax court sit in Washington, D.C., and they literally travel around throughout the year and hear the cases. And so there might not, so for example, there might not be a tax court in Longview, or there might not be a tax court in Galveston, but then there's one in Houston, and there's one in Dallas, and it's, they place them strategically so that people can you know, travel and get there to have their case heard or argue their case. Um, I actually had experience being one of the IRS attorneys going after taxpayers for tax debts. And not only that, while in law school, I also worked on the other side of the table, I worked on the other side of the table first. So at first I was literally defending taxpayers um, mm -hmm. on both the civil side and the criminal side. So when you hear about, uh, the, usually you hear about it with celebrities, right? Like uh, I believe what, Isley went to jail for that. Ron Isley, I think, was the one who went to jail for a little uh, for taxes. <laughs> so when you're in, in uh, and I guess let me take another step back. So there's civil and there's criminal. Civil is where it's penalties and fines. Criminal is where you're looking at jail time. That's the easiest. <laughs> that's the easiest way <laughs> to just explain the difference between the two. When you have, when you're initially dealing with everything with taxes and the IRS or tax court, it's all civil. And at that point, the only thing you you know that's on the table for you to lose is, are, are dollars. If your tax debts or whatever tax acts that you're committing, if they're so egregious that the IRS, pretty much if the IRS just gets so disgusted with your tax behavior, then they can refer <laughs> those to the Department of Justice. And that's where criminal charges get involved. Um, but for the average taxpayer out there, that's, you know, that, that will probably never happen. That's why you usually only hear about those things with these major, with celebrities, because the tax debts are so much, it, they're just, mm -hmm. the amounts of money, it's, it's so much money on the table that they feel like, okay, we have to pursue this and go with criminal actions Part of it is, of course, you know, we want to set an example and scare people. And then an, another part of it is, you know, we've put in a lot of time and resources into calculating this tax, into calculating what they owed, into combing through their records. And they want to see a return on their investment to be, you know, they want, they want a pound of flesh. And so what I, the way that I help people is I, uh, you know, help keep people out of court, help uh, settle tax debts for people. And then also with my uh, legal degree, it's also enabled me to assist people more on the uh, tax planning and taking advantage of more sophisticated tax planning techniques, as well as assisting them uh, on estate planning, looking long-term, um, you know, do I need a trust? Do I wanna set up a trust? Walking them through trust. Uh, oh. Also working with things like setting up a will. Uh, I'm sure you all know that's a huge part of financial management and planning. Right. Um, is setting up a will uh, so that, you know, you know where your funds are going and that the people that you have are taken care of, uh, you know, when your time comes. So uh, I assist people in in those ways. So to sum it up, you know, tax planning, estate planning, 
and uh, met and matters disputes with the IRS and as well as, you know, I, without a doubt, tax is my specialty, but I also, uh, I would consider myself, I'm a business attorney. So I do a lot of contracts. Uh, I threaten to sue a lot of people. Uh, if we, <laughs> I uh, advise on a wide range of things, pretty much anything where, where numbers and the law intersect, uh, I pretty much dabble in that. It, and so, but of course, without a doubt, my specialty and where I spend the bulk of my time uh, is in the field of taxes. You're obviously very educated. I mean, you gave us some really good information here. How long did it take for you to, um, you know, for your school and your education to, to get all the information? So for my accounting, you know, well, uh, I was in, let's see, I came out of, I, when I first started at FAMU, uh, FAMU had an MBA program, a five-year MBA program uh, where they will require you to get internships, to get the work experience, because, you know, they, they saw the need that, okay, we want to give our students an MBA, but of course, usually they want people with work, people to you know graduate from undergrad work, then get an MBA because they want you to have some of that real world experience to go with the MBA. So what FAMU did was they will require you, hey, if you want to get this MBA and be in this program, you're going to have to intern uh, so many uh, hours and you know so many different internships. So that way you have that experience to be well-rounded to go with your MBA. So I started off in that program and about, and just like I'm sure a lot of people do, uh, I kind of pivoted with my major. I always mm -hmm. knew I was going to do accounting. I was going to do the MBA, but about halfway through, I started thinking, man, I really don't, you know, I don't, I, I, I just didn't need the MBA for what I was trying to do. And my main focus was I knew I wanted to do accounting and I knew I wanted to get the CPA. Um, so it took me undergrad, I mean, nobody graduates in four years anymore, but it took me about four and a half, it took me about four and a half years to uh, graduate from undergrad. And because I had started, and I mentioned the MBA program because when I started the MBA program, um, you know, obviously I was taking more hours than somebody just going in to get a bachelor's degree. A bachelor's degree requires mm -hmm. what, 120 hours. Uh, and then the graduate degree is the extra 30. So I, I had already began amassing more hours than I would need to graduate. So because I knew I wanted to be a CPA and because I knew I wanted to be a CPA in Texas, I knew that, hey, Texas requires all these extra hours. So uh, what I did was I said, okay, I don't need the MBA, but I need the hours. So I literally just took every single accounting and tax class <laughs> that you had to offer. And so I ended up graduating with a bachelor's degree and with a bachelor's degree in, account in accounting, but with something close to 150 credit hours. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that was just, so I did that knowing that that would allow me to get reciprocity in Texas. And uh, with that, when reciprocity, all that means is I uh, took the CPA exam in one state and I, and Texas is going to allow me to transfer my license over to Texas because I met all the requirements as if I had been in Texas the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, so, so undergrad took me around four and a half years. The CPA exam probably took me a couple of years. You know, a lot of people, uh, one thing I would always tell people stay encouraged if they're trying to pass that exam, just like any exam. Um, but a lot of people don't pass it the first time. Um, when I was taking the exam, it was four components, four different tests, and you had to pass all four parts 
within 15 months of each other. So that means from the moment you pass one, it immediately starts expiring. The clock starts ticking. Yeah. The clock starts ticking. And I've had some expire on me. I've had to take a few over a couple of times, but you know, my story is a very common story out there. And uh, so I would definitely, you know, tell anyone trying to go that accounting or this CPA path to just really just find a study method that works best for you and stick to it. It's definitely worth it in the end when you can finally, you know, finish, get that credential and, you know, put it on the shelf and move on with your life. As far as law school, I knew when I went to law school, I wanted to go full time. Um, I did not want to go part time. Part time in law school is four years and you're going to school year round including summers. Um, <laughs> full-time is three years, uh, traditional, you know, you have a fall semester, spring semester, and then you're off in the summer to usually your goal is you should be, would, you know, you should be working interning somewhere. Um, if you can get paid, great. But if you can just get good experience, that's all that really matters in law school. So all in all, we're looking about seven and a half years of schooling, of uh, formal education, and and the way with law school, of course, you getting through law school is one part of it, then passing the bar is a whole nother task. So pretty much I, I graduated, I started law school and the I came out of undergrad in ooh, fall of 2008. Um, I had some time to kill. So I just worked at a, a law firm as their accountant in the meantime until my offer had started with KPMG. I started at KPMG uh, in January of 2010. So then I worked all those different jobs I mentioned earlier until 2015. Um, law school had always been something that was on my mind. So uh, I figured, okay, well, my wife was pregnant with our second child at the time. And I said, no, it's time to apply or get off the pot. And because if I don't go now, it's probably not going to happen. So I applied. Uh, I took the LSAT because it doesn't cost a lot of money to take the LSAT. So I took the LSAT, um, I only took, I took it twice. I took it the first time cold, just kind of bought an LSAT for dummies book, just to kind of see what the test was about. Uh, then I uh, bought some study guides, uh, studied, went back in a couple of months later, took it again, felt like I had the score that I needed. And then I applied. And then uh, once I applied, uh, when the dust settled, I had two, uh, I would say, you know, two pretty, two decent offers, two pretty much full rides. One was to either stay in Houston and go to Thurgood Marshall at Texas Southern. And the other one was to go up to St. Louis, which is where I went. Uh, my wife is born and raised from St. Louis. So that's why that came into play. And so, you know, I, you know, she wanted to go home for a while. I said, I'll go to either city. It didn't matter to me because I'm going to be the one going. And so wherever you, you know, comfortable would like to be at. So, we went packed up and moved to St. Louis for three years. So uh, I was in law school. I started fall 15. I graduated spring 2018, then moved back to Houston. Um, and then you pretty much, this is the standard. You, you graduate from law school and then you spend, when that you graduate in the fall or you graduate in the spring, you spend that next three to four months studying like a full-time job. So studied like a full-time job all summer took the bar exam at the end, uh, took the bar exam at the, at the, on the back end of the summer. And then you sit and you wait for about two and a half to three months for your results. Ugh. And then, yeah, it's terrible. And <laughs> because in all that time you've forgotten what you just 
<laughs> three months cramming down and you don't you know you you wish you could get it you know do i need to be studying do i need to be do, mm-hmm. do I, you know should i be refreshing myself but all you can do is just sit back um and then you know if you're not fortunate enough to graduate with the job then in all that time you're kind of just stuck in limbo because you know jobs that you could potentially get that require you to be able to practice law they say okay yeah we like you but we don't know if you're going to pass the bar exam yet so you're just kind of in a limbo for mm-hmm. a period of time so pretty much you graduate from law school if you don't already have a job lined up you've got about just you know six months of time where you're just studying and kind of just floating around there and then you find out and I passed the bar the first time around and uh just been I went back into a public accounting firm but not to do tax returns I was on the tax consultant side I did that for a while it was another uh fairly big public accounting firm RSM uh some people Mm -hmm. might remember RSM McGladry but Mm -hmm. uh same guys uh, so I worked with them and I did that for about a year. And then now I've just been uh, operating uh, my own solo firm. Congratulations on that. Yeah, congratulations. That's awesome, you, brother. <laughs> appreciate it, appreciate it. Oh, no, I was going to tell them that uh, I have an accounting background. And I'm familiar with the, the CPA and everything. So like that struggle and like when Larry told me uh, about you, and I saw like CPA attorney, I'm thinking in my head, like, man, this, like, is he sure like these two are together? Like, he has both. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm like, just the CPA alone, you know, is a struggle, our whole thing. And then I'm like, you know, attorney, I'm like, man, what is his schooling? How long did this all take? Like, you know, I was, I was like, this is, this is crazy. Like, you know, the firms you mentioned, like the side audit taxes, like, I know, you know, familiar with all that stuff. And I was like, man, this, he was really like just grinding. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of grind. It was a lot of grind, but, uh, you know, you could just, I had a goal. I knew, you know, I had a, a end goal in mind and, you know, you just, you just have to be set to something when you know yeah. that you had this goal and you know, you know, you have to do whatever it takes to get there. You know, you just got to go for it. So I guess I would say I got a lot of grit as yeah. they would say. So I was just going to ask, uh, just to follow up, you know, he said he had a goal and an end goal in mind and so many of us, kind of especially coming out of high school, don't have no goal, have no nothing in mind besides maybe let's just go to, go to school and see what happens. So my question is kind of where was your inspiration? Where did you get that idea from that it kind of ignited, ignited that fire? So it's crazy. So I always knew, the only thing I knew in the the only thing I knew when I was in high school was that I knew I wanted to be, at some point I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I knew I wanted to do something in business. I wanted to be something business oriented and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's how I ended up uh, just talking through friends when everybody, you know, when you're in that back end of your junior year, senior high school, everybody starts talking about where they're going, where they're going to apply, uh, you know, where they do this. And I was, you know, I really didn't know, but I knew that I wanted to do something in business. So that is from talking to a friend. That's where I learned about. Florida A&M, FAMU. And I knew that I wanted to, uh, and I also knew that I had a strong interest in going to an HBCU. So FAMU had a, one of the best, if not, you know, it, it was a very highly ranked uh, business program and it was a HBCU and it was in Florida. I was the only child. I never really left Texas like that. So, you know, it was <laughs> say no more. I was out the door uh, ready to go. Um, but as far as the goal, 
So I knew that. So I knew when I went there, I got accepted. I was a business. I was a business major, business administration major. And uh, it's funny. My dad is an accountant and my mom is a lawyer. Um, I ended up doing both. I don't, but, uh, but, um, but my dad is an accountant. And when my dad took me there for orientation and we went to the registrar's office just to make sure, you know, you're just doing the typical stuff. And my dad said, you know, business administration is great. You know, it's what you want to do. But, you know, if you want to always make sure that you know that you have a job or get a really good understanding of pretty much business in general, you should really, you know, consider just doing accounting. You still have that business background, except then you'll have a specialty. And so I said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And that's, and then I did accounting. And uh, (laughs) once I did accounting, then I said, okay, the goal is, you know, you know, the goal when you're in underground accounting is, okay, you want to come out, you want to go work at a big four public accounting firm. That's it. You don't have to stay there forever, (laughs) but that is just what, that is the goal. Like the goal Mm -hmm. is you come out, you go to KPMG, Ernst & Young, PricewaterhouseCooper, or Deloitte. And if you go, then you start your career there and then you go and you pick what you want to do or see what Mm -hmm. you like. So I was like, okay, so that's the goal. That's to be the most successful, you know, in this career in the long term. That's what I'm going to try to do. So I went that path, got the internship at KPMG, uh, started working there. And then while doing that, that's why I learned that, okay, once you're in public accounting, the next piece of this goal is you got to get the CPA. Because in order to be a partner in a public accounting firm, you have to be a CPA. And so, and not only that, at firms like at the big four firms, they won't even, you know, everything goes up at a certain level. So you start as an associate, then you go to a senior associate, then you go to a manager, then you go to a senior manager, and then you go to partner. And, uh, you know, over time, I think they might even add in another layer or tier um, before partner. But back then, you could not make it pretty much past manager, if manager, if you did not have that CPA. So then the goal was, all right, well, if I know I want to set myself up to be successful and I know that I've majored in this, I need to go ahead and take it all the way. I got to get the CPA. So. It was just that it. I had the KPMG job. Now I need to go. I had the public accounting job. Now I need to make sure I get the CPA license. And so, mm-hmm. boom, I got that. I was working. Um, you know, I was doing that. And I, like I said, I started off on the financial accounting side. Then I shifted to the tax side. And then uh, just really figuring out what I liked and what I did like. I've definitely, you know, worked uh, in, in the span of those five years. I worked at what was that four different companies, but and which is a lot for some people. But one thing I was one thing that I learned a long time ago was these corporations, pretty much jobs in general, um, especially the bigger they are, there is no such thing as their loyalty to true loyalty to you. Yeah. If a business decision comes down and they have to cut you, they will cut you. And so what I realized was. <laughs> I, I was the same way. And so I was never afraid to go and to jump into something new to try it because it gave me the opportunity to at least say either find, if I didn't find out that it was something I liked, I found something that I didn't like. And I was like, mm-hmm. I know what I don't want to do. And I don't want to do what I was just doing. <laughs> and so 
you know, my goal then shifted more towards, okay, finding what is it that I really enjoy doing? I've got the CPA. So now I have the options to go and explore these different avenues. So after I made that shift to, to text, then I realized like, hey, I learned that, man, a lot of people who do the financial accounting and reporting, the auditing, the people who are always doing debits and credits, sometimes they don't really know anything about tax. I'm like, well, I know that. Well, why don't I go and learn about tax? And then I realized, I'm like, hey, people who might know tax or might know accounting, they don't know a lot about finance. And so then my, and so then my goal shifted more towards, okay, now what is it that's going to give me the most opportunities to never have me boxed into one particular job or pigeonholed, you hear that term a lot, um, to where I can, I can only do this one particular skill or this one particular, I only have this one skill. Uh, you know, I wanted to be well-rounded so that I could always have the option to go and the flexibility to go to that, to take advantage of a new opportunity or to try something different. So once I was in corporate finance, it, you know, I realized that, hey, I think I like this finance thing a lot. And I probably would have stayed in finance had I not gone back to law school, but law school had always been in the back of my mind. So up and until I got the offers on, in my hand, you know, then it was like, okay, well, here's the new goal. I got a once in a lifetime opportunity and I can't blow this. Like to have, to be able to get a pretty much a free legal education, you know, mm -hmm. in 2015 <laughs> is not something to just pass up or take lightly. So, mm -hmm. My goal was then at that point, like, well, I have to go to law school. I have to see this thing through and I, you know, and I have to pass the bar exam. And it's just, that was just the drive. It was just, you know, I, I, I you know, my, my, my goal was just that, you know, I have to finish this thing. And, you know, it's just something that was just in me. If I set my mind to something or, you know, and I have a goal and then not only that, you know, when you, when you, when people know what you're doing, you know, that's a, real big motivating factor you know everybody's had that mm -hmm. friend that said that went off that went off and had this great opportunity and then they ended up back home a year or two later and it's like hey man how'd it go and it's like ah oh, man and then you know something like that could be a really great motor you know a lot of people knew i went to law school so it wasn't yeah. <laughs> so it definitely was something i had to had to finish yeah, not only that man when i went back to law school i had a wife and two kids i started law school with two kids then had a, a law school surprise blessing uh have you know <laughs> right through there and so it was like man i got a lot of people yeah, on me like this another level this, of motivation yeah it's a whole other <laughs> level of motivation so it's like i gotta see i gotta make this thing happen so uh so for me you know that, that that's just those were the things that just always inspired me or kept me going and the drive to continue and even now you know now the goal is okay i've got my own thing now got my own firm got my mm -hmm. clients you know, and now my goal is to expand and ramp up, you know, and, you know, provide the best services that I can provide and to set myself up to, you know, to move on to the next potential opportunity or to just have more additional funds to, you know, for more financial freedom, to be able to go out and invest more in real estate, to be able to, and then not only that, have the flexibility to spend time with my family as I see fit and to go and travel, you know, when I want to travel and not have to check in or talk with somebody else or clear it or clear my schedule. So, uh, so yeah, man. So that's kind of me and just kind of my drive and kind of motivates me. Yeah. We were talking over the group text 
was yesterday before about financial freedom uh, from a video we watched. Uh, so that's something that's important to all of us. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Great information. Great information. Thank you very much, Bradford. So you can find Bradford at bcmfirm.com. That's his website. Or you can email Bradford at brad at bcmfirm.com. Very good information. Very good information. We're going to go ahead and get into the financial advisor tip of the day. This is from the friend of the podcast who is a financial advisor. He says, maximize your 2020 IRA contribution to make the most of your retirement plan. The IRS contribution deadline is April 15, 2021. Gifting to an education fund such as a 529 plan may provide tax benefits. There may be state tax benefits for residents of a state where you choose your 529 plan. You can begin funding your 2021 IRA as early as January 1st, 2021. The earlier you start, the longer you have to accumulate funds tax deferred. Thank you all for listening. Please continue to listen. Tell a friend. Subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. Thank you. and Come again. We'll have part two with Bradford coming up next. Bye.